Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Before we go into the teaching that God chose us and what that means, I think it'd be great if we could practice for a minute walking into the presence of God. I don't think most of us do that. I mean, we know God. We, we, we even believe he exists. And there's all kind of levels of people in here. I mean, the greatest diversity in this room is whatever you're, wherever you're at on the spiritual plane. I mean, there are people in here who don't believe anything about God. Could I just say, welcome, we're so glad you're here. There are folks here who've claimed to know God for 50 years, and somewhere along the line, man, they took an exit ramp, and they hadn't got back on yet. So I'm going to invite you to do something. It just don't, don't get all freaky on me here, but just I'm going to invite you to create an altar. And I'm going to ask you to bring into God's house whatever junk is in your life. Divorce, bad relationship, marriage is on the rocks, job, money, health, whatever it is. And I'm going to invite you to create maybe an altar right there at your chair. Some of you may want to turn around and get on your knees and literally just let, let the chair be your altar. Some of you may want to come up here and just, just I don't think there's anything magic about the place. But when I saw Becca kneel, I thought to myself, there is something awesome about being able to be in the right posture before God. This, this sense, this recognition that he's holy, we're not. That he's perfect and we're not. That he loves us and we don't get it. That he wants to heal us and he wants to love on us and he wants to lavish on us. And for some reason, somehow, some way, we just don't get it. I, I struggle all day, every day, because I just don't get how something, somebody could love me that much. So I'm going to invite you. If your deal is you want to stand and raise your hands, then I'm going to invite you to do that. If your deal is you want to sit there quietly and pray, man, I'm, I'm for you. If you want to turn around and kneel and use your chair as an altar, cool. You want to step out into the aisle and kneel, that's cool. If you want to come to the altar, come on now. Just, I promise you, this same old deal in every church. There are 50 of you waiting to do that, and you're just waiting for somebody to do it. So you just come on. If you want to kneel where you're at, just kneel. Don't get freaked out. Stop worrying about what everybody thinks. You're not on display. You're not on show. You you just do whatever God says. Just do your thing. You want to stand up, stand up. You want to sit down, you want to sit down. You want to cup your hands, you want to raise your hands, you want to put them in your palm, just whatever your deal is. You just do your thing. See, I believe there's a literal, tangible person, a creator that made us to worship him. We fall short in our worship when we think it's about music 
a building or a style. Father, today with every heart that is bowed, every knee that is on the ground, literally or figuratively, for every hand that is raised or every hand that is still, would you speak into our heart this day with your love. Pour out on us so it soaks us to the bone, your grace. We bring to you everything we've messed up in our life and we lay it at your feet and ask you to just forgive us and let us start over again because you have paid the price and you have reconciled our heart. And so God, we bring you all our junk and all our sin. We bring you our loneliness. We bring you our broken heart. We bring you everything we have to say, we don't just need you, we long for you to do what only you can do. Heal and bless and forgive. In the name of Jesus, our King, our Savior, and our Lord, amen, amen, and amen. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. It's always interesting to me how our orthodoxy shapes what we think about church. So if you grew up in, like I did, in kind of a real legalistic perspective, many times you run from church. I did. The last thing on earth I wanted to be was a pastor. I don't even like pastors. And yet here I am, but it's because when we say, God, thanks for loving us enough to give us your son so that we could be in a right relationship with you, then he comes along and says, I got, have I got a deal for you? And in Colossians chapter 3, by the way, if you have the app open and you're going to try to follow my message notes in there, could I just stop and say, thanks for doing that, but read them tomorrow because I'm not preaching that sermon. It, it, it's a good one. You can read it. It's really good. I mean, I promise, it's, it's really good. It's got an outline and everything that you're supposed to do. I woke up this morning and... All week long, Jenny and I have been talking about today, and I, I just, I literally, I woke up this morning, I cannot preach that sermon. I'm not really sure why. I don't really have an answer. I just, I just knew that that's not what to say, so hang with me. Colossians chapter 3. If then you've been raised with Christ, so in other words, hey, God, I know you love me, and God, I want to accept the free gift you gave me. We, we saw two guys baptized from our Hispanic church uh, in the 930 hour and talking with both of them behind uh, the, the stage. Man, I was saying, you know why you're getting baptized? I like, yeah, I want to identify with Christ. I want to be buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. I'm like, man, you get it. You'll be raised with Christ, identify with Jesus. It's like God in his perfection, us in our unperfection, God in his holiness, God us in our mess, God in, in his perfect, wonderful, overflowing grace and our selfishness. Something had to get right because God can't let all our junk in his space. So he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to die to shed his blood, his body be broken, buried in a tomb three days later, raises from the dead so that we could simply accept the free gift of saying, Jesus, thank you, you died for me so that I might be able to not only go to heaven, but I might have life in abundance today. If then you've been raised with Christ, 
Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So don't miss, he's saying two big deals here. Number one, he's saying, stop looking down, look up. Psalm 121 says, uh, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. It's a picture of I'm going to look there for my future. I'm going to look there for my hope. I'm going to look that way for, for what I need in my life. If I were to take, to take a poll across here and say, like I did in Man Church uh, a couple, last week, I said, man, how are you doing in your life? If I, if I said, write down five qualities, five characteristics, you'd say, man, this is a good guy. This is a good lady. If, if I did these, and I said, okay, now measure that from zero to 20 and see what your score is. How are we doing? And Paul says, listen, I want you to, want you, don't want you to miss this. When you seek things above, when you look toward the heaven where, where Jesus is sitting next to God, then we get this picture that God, our creator, loves us to the degree that he would send Jesus, his son, our savior, that we might have life and leave with us God, the Holy Spirit, that he might sustain us, direct us, guard us, keep us. And so he's saying in here, man, keep your eyes that way. You know what I've realized? You can't harbor pettiness and jealousy and envy. You can't can't harbor unforgiveness and bigotry. You can't harbor any of those things when your eyes are toward Christ. But when you look down and you look around, that is exactly what happens. What happens is every nasty, awful thing you can imagine, when you look down, that's what happens. We stumble and we fall. We look this way. And it's like we get, a, we get this guide. We get this picture. He is, he's, a, he's a lamp. He's a light. He guides our way. He's saying, listen, Jesus is there. He's got it. He's got this figured out. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in your sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So on the first part of this, God is inspiring Paul to write this note that says, God loves you. He's done all this for you. But when you do stupid stuff, it angers him because you messed up. How many of you have like a 18 to 22 year old child? Can I see your hands? Okay. So you, you've got a pretty good picture of hell. And, um, so all you parents who have like 16 and 18-year-olds thinking, I'll never get out of this phase, it gets worse. All right? It's, just, it's awful. And, and so what happens is when they do something that's atrocious and it breaks your heart, there's part of you that's angry and there's part of you that really hurts. Are you with me? I mean, what happens is like a parent, God sees us make these mistakes and he's thinking, man, I live inside of you. How could that happen? How could you do that? Well, we're about to find out. He says, put to death all of that. And then he comes back and he says, in these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So literally, Paul is saying that when you choose Jesus, when you choose, I want that Jesus died for me, I want him to come in. What Paul is saying is the old person comes off. I mean, imagine like, like watching Mission Impossible or one of these, you know, 
action movies, and this guy puts on this plastic face, and you think he's somebody else, and then at the end, you realize he pulls the whole thing off, and you're like, oh, dude, I didn't see that coming, right? Okay, so God says, pull all that off, and by the way, take off the clothes of anger and bitterness. Take off the clothes of jealousy and envy and strife. Take off all that junk and burn it. And then he comes back and says, but I've got a new line of clothes for you, and it's a bestseller. And he's saying, man, you can buy this, but wouldn't it be better if I gave it to you? I'm just going to give you this. He says, so put things like anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk, put all that away. Don't lie to one another, saying that you put off the old self with its practices. And then Paul gets into, the, he really gets in our business now. He gets down here and, and he says in verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. What Paul is saying is, so I need you to wear figuratively, Stick with me here, all right? It's not like he's, ladies, he's not giving you a new pair of Miss Me jeans, all right? I mean, guys, I mean, you don't, it's not a new pair of Levi's, all right? What he's saying is it's a figurative picture that you're going to look different, feel different, act different, but it's not about behavioral change. It's about letting Jesus sit on the throne of your heart, and you're putting him on every morning. So watch this. It goes on in, in verse 11. He says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So he, he really messes with our brain here. And he says, okay, with all of that, I want you to know that I am for everybody and everybody can come to me. And he makes this point about this one group of people called the Scythians. The Scythians were a small group of people that basically Jew and Greek hated, hated everything about them, hated how they ate, hated what they sang, hated how they dressed, they hated everything about them. They were just bigots and they couldn't stand it. I mean, these are the kind of people who on a bus sing a stupid song because they're a fraternity and their daddy should have spanked them more. They were bigots. They were basically Jewish and Greek rednecks. And they looked at a group of people and thought, I'm better than them. And Paul comes along and says, dude, whoa. Jesus didn't die more for you than it did them. He didn't spell more blood for them than he did you. And he did it all for anybody and everybody. Black, yellow, brown, white, doesn't matter. Educated, non-educated, wealthy, nothing, gay, straight. He said, you, you come to me. He said, you come to me. And what he's saying here is, I know you people hate them, but when you put the new you on, it doesn't include bigotry and hatred. It doesn't include racism. Because I promise you folks, when we get to heaven... All us little, uh, us little white Caucasian people, I promise you, we're going to be the minority. Because when we get to heaven, I'm telling you, there's no bigotry. There's no hatred. There's no jealousy. Paul's saying, man, listen, if there's a new you, there's something ought to change right there about that. And then he says, put on then as God's chosen ones. Wait a minute, what? He picked you. So imagine, I, I went to Davisville Elementary School. And at Davisville Elementary School, they had a playground that was basically dirt. But 
if you picked the right flat rocks, you could create a kickball field. And you always had two people that picked sides. So like over here, like Clayton is, is the captain for your side, all right? So I'm going to split down the middle here. So like right there, right, you guys are, you're with Clayton. And then over here, like Bill is the captain over here. And so they start picking. So all of a sudden, man, the, get to the end, and there's two kids standing there like, <laughs> nobody wanted me. Are you kidding me? So they kind of slouch off to the team, you know. And then there's always like the gym teacher who's telling them toward the end of the game, you remember those rubber balls that were kind of like purple or, or maroon? And you could grip those bad boys, and when you chunked them, you could ping somebody on the head. It was awesome. The gym teacher would always come around, grab the ball, and they'd look at the kid that never got picked and said, Johnny's got to get in. And when Johnny got in, everybody came closer because they knew Johnny was going to whiff. And he, you know... And, Watch this. In God's economy, it is impossible to not be picked first. God came along and looked at you and said, I'm putting you first on my draft board. I chose you. You say, Chuck, no possible way. I mean, God knows everything about me. Why would he pick me? Watch, because he loves you. He would never let you stand in line and have that feel. That's what humans do. God said, I, I, I draft you, number one, I picked you. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy. And listen to this word, beloved. I mean, he's saying, man, I love you. I picked you because I love you. With compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. In other words, what he's saying is everything that you learned to compete and to win and to be number one, he's saying those things aren't going to get you where you want to go. Because when I come and sit on the throne of your heart, I'm going to make these easy for you, not hard. Because you know what I've learned? I can't do these good characteristics in my own power. Because the only thing good that comes out of me is the presence of Christ. And I, I want to kind of get in your business and mess your head up a little bit. Because the only thing good that can come from you is the presence of Christ as well. Now we look at some people and say, man, they're, they're better. Like, I look at Rusty, and I think, man, he's a better dude than I am. And God looks at me and says, yeah, but you, you, you each get the same amount. I picked you first. And then he says, hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing one another. He just keeps on going. You've got to forgive. And above all these, put on love. And now watch this. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. Oh, and watch this. And be thankful. When we don't have peace in our life, we make poor decisions, we're physically sick, and we're relationally weary. Because when we lack peace, we're not good vertically, so we're never good horizontally. And relationally, we build walls, not bridges. When we lack peace, all those things happen. And Jesus came, and he, he rose from a grave. He pushed a rock away. After seeing Mary Magdalene, and it, 
he, he goes to where his, his guys are hanging out, the closest family he's got, his disciples, and they're, they're in the room behind locked doors because they're scared to death. Man, we're going to get the same deal he did. They're going to hang us up, sure as world. And Jesus does the coolest thing. He doesn't open the door. He walks through it. Wouldn't you love to have seen that? I mean, I would have totally freaked. And clearly Thomas did. Because Thomas was like, dude, that, no, uh-uh, that didn't, did, did not just happen. I overserved myself at the table. This is, that did not happen. And Jesus, the Son of God, who could have given them anything in the world, said, peace I bring to you. There is no commodity, nothing on the planet that's more powerful than a believer in Christ at peace. Whatever separates you from having peace with God your creator, allow him to show you what that is and simply tell him, God, I'm sorry. I need you. I want to take the clothes of my old life off and I want to put the new stuff on. And then I want to take and I want to wrap it in a belt that you call love. And God defined love this way. He said, God is love. So as a result, we look up. As a result, we, we, we understand that when he chose us, he invited us into his room. He said, just come on into my dining room. Come hang out with me. And a lot of us said, you know, God, I, I can't come into your dining room. Man, I was so stoned last night. I, I don't deserve to go in your dining room. That's for religious people. I don't... God, I've run from you for so long. I, I, I can't come into your room. That's where, that's where friends hang out. That's where family eats. I can't do that. Let God remind you today. He chose you. He picked you. And he didn't ask you to get right before he picked you. He said, I'm going to take you and all your messed up junk. I'm, I picked you. Come on. Come to my table. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.